Praise the Lord. Welcome to Cross Time with Pastor Curtis. I'm Pastor Curtis Hutchinson. Uh, excited to be here this morning with you in the studio and you as well online. And uh, we are in the book of Galatians. But before we dig into that today, which we will be in chapter 4, but before we dig into that today, I just want to remind you that Determined Camp Meeting is coming up. In two weeks from today, we will be uh, having our meetings on a Friday morning. They start on a Thursday night, which was two weeks from last night. And uh, people will be coming from everywhere, Louisiana, Mississippi, Ohio, uh, here in Texas and, and other places. And we're just encouraged and excited about what the Lord's going to do this year at our determined camp meeting. This coming Sunday will be the last opportunity for you to order your polo shirt. If you want one, uh, that is if you're going to have it by conference time, which is uh, the 13th of September through the 16th. And uh, so if, if you're anywhere near this area, I would very much encourage you to come and be a part of these meetings that will take place on a Thursday through Sunday, the 13th through the 16th. And meet some of these pastors and, and fellowship with uh, those who have faith in the cross. And God's brought them out of all the junk that's out there today. And he's bringing us back to a place of faith and grace. And uh, meet some people uh, who are out there preaching this same message. And, uh, uh, and you'll be blessed. You'll be encouraged. And I'm sure the Lord will speak to you and, and say and do great and mighty things. And uh, everything will be live streamed. All the services will be live streamed, every single one of them. And uh, Pastor Michael uh, Abogonda will be with us doing almost all the praise and worship. And uh, there are even other pastors coming in who are not going to be speaking. And I'm excited about that. We get to meet new pastors who are preaching this message. And it's going to, it's going to be a great time in the Lord. And I'm excited about that. Uh, I don't know. If, I guess next Friday uh, we will be here, and then the 14th we will not be here because of the determined camp meetings. We will not be doing uh, our cross time with Pastor Curtis, so we'll skip that Friday morning of the conference. Uh, and so, again, if you live anywhere near Queen City, Atlanta, Texarkana, wherever, we've got a lady that drives from Shreveport every Friday morning because she knows the truth. She loves the teaching of God's Word as it pertains to Christ. And I would encourage you to come and be a part of these uh, Bible studies on Friday morning. It's not about trying to get you in Crossway Church. It's about trying to get you in the Word so that you can learn God's Word. Not what it says only, but what God means. The revelation that's written in the words of God. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, we're praying for people this morning right before we dig into the Word. Nelson's dad, Nelson Mayfield's dad, had a stroke yesterday. And Candy Smith had a stroke Sunday before last. She lives in Gladewater. And uh, several other people, uh, uh, Stacy Blevins, uh, is having some uh, issues, and, and so is Brother Dale. And just the list goes on and on at the attacks of the enemy, but we know the one who can heal, who can deliver, who can do anything we need. Sister Gladys is here this morning after her procedure she had done, and she's looking good. She always did. And uh, so the uh, Lord's going to bring us all through it. So let's pray this morning and ask the Lord for his healing hand today upon these lives. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Lord, to be in your word, to hear from you, to have that daily bread that we desperately need. Lord, we lift these ones who are under attack up to you, and many more than we even named that, that you know who they are. Lord, we ask for that miracle today that they desperately need. 
We ask for that healing hand to touch them, Lord, just as John and Peter approached the, the lame man. He had no idea that would be his day to rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. And I'm praying that today would be the day for all of these to find that health, that wholeness, that place of recovery. And we ask it this morning in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen. Praise God. We're here in the book of Galatians, this letter we should call it, to the Galatian believers who were in serious trouble. They were in serious trouble, no less trouble than the church is in today by all the legalizers and all the men and women and, and boys and girls out there who are trying to tell false things, things that are not true, and, and, and just so many false things that have a, an outward form of Christ trying to uh, pretend they're Christ, and even though they believe they may be, they're not Christ. And so many religions, even the, the big, and I hate to just start calling names right off the bat today, but even Catholic. And every time something huge happens, political or, or something devastating happens in our country, it seems like the, the news media uh, always just acknowledges Catholicism as, the, as the, the, the leading religion of America. And it might be the leading religion, but it's not that which represents Christ. It's just religion. It's with all their uniforms and all their wands and procedures and all that. Really, that's just religion. And Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Christ. So Christianity is under attack today greater than it ever was back when this letter was written. And, and, and there's, there's more subtle legalistic ways now than this letter was written to the church in Galatia. After they, they, they this was the church, born again, spirit filled children of God who'd witnessed miracles in their midst. And now the Judaizers had traveled miles up into the mountains where the Gauls, is who the Galatians were, they were Gaul Gentiles without God, and they heard the gospel through Paul. They were born again, spirit-filled, miracles taking place, and now the Judaizers, man, were just on a mission. They traveled miles, even up into the mountains, to try to bring these people back under law. Not, not They weren't trying to get anybody. They were just trying to get those that had given their lives to Christ back under law. They weren't on a mission to bring anybody, just anybody under law, but those who'd given their lives to Christ. They followed Paul around. And every time a church would be birthed, souls would be saved, they would immediately rush into that place. That's what the devil does. He sees those who step into a place of true spirituality, being born again, saved. He immediately sends his messengers of legalism that you know you're really not saved until you do this. And we have that problem today. You're really not saved unless you are water baptized. You're really not saved unless you do this. And you surely can't be delivered from that sin until you do this. That's all legalism. That's all law. And the Bible surely plainly teaches that it's the law that stirs up the sin nature in Romans chapter 7 verse 5. So we, I, I'm going to always, till we get out of this letter, remind us why this letter was written. It was written because the church was in trouble, and it is today as well. If the preacher's not preaching the Word of God in the light of Christ, who is the light, and what He did at Calvary to become our light, then they're preaching that which will contain you in law. And we'll see it again uh, this morning that the law, by the Holy Spirit through Paul, is called weak and beggarly. 
That means it can't save you. It can't deliver you. And it'll just put you back in a place where you're only begging to experience the things that you've really uh, uh, become as an heir of Christ. Because Paul knew if you go back under law... You're not lost again, but you've now gone back to a place where you cannot experience the things that you've been freely given under grace. And then you just become weak and beggarly. And Paul confirms that again in other writings. It's when he wrote to uh, the church in Corinth. And he said, because you're not discerning the Lord's body, many are weak, sick, and they're dying prematurely. And you know, the world gets their phrase, what you don't know will kill you, from the Word of God. My people perish for lack of knowledge. So when the child of God turns somebody like me or some other preacher trying to teach the Word of God, uh, you know, this expository teaching and preaching where the, the Holy Spirit's explaining the Word of God in the context in which it was written, and they say, well, you don't have to know all that. You better get rid of that thought because what you don't know will kill you. And God's the one who said that. My people, not the world, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And then Peter comes along and writes, you are to be growing in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's more than just getting saved and getting in the kingdom. He's called you to be a student of the Word, to be learning the Word, to be growing because of your faith in the Word. Amen, Brother Curtis. So we'll just back up and scratch again the ground here in verse 8 of chapter 4. Now that we've been reminded who it is he's writing to, why he's writing this letter. How be it then, when you knew not God, before you knew God, you, you served those which by nature are no gods. Paul's saying here, when you were lost, you were serving other gods that are not gods. But, you, you know, you're born into this life a worshiper. You know, it's kind of like the atheist. Their faith is in that there is no God. So their faith is really in them. And they call themselves atheists, and all they've done is taken the word... And altered it because God calls them fools. God's name for them is fools. So they said, I don't like to be called a fool, so I'm going to change that to atheist. So, but their faith is in themselves. Your faith is in something. Everybody's born with their faith in something, worshiping something. And Paul's here saying, before you guys were born again, you were serving them, which by nature are no gods. But you were serving them. But now, after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? This last Friday morning got into my heart so heavy that I ministered right at the end of Sunday morning service a little bit of this. And Wednesday night, the Lord just had me minister an entire message based on this scripture. And, and this is why. Because it doesn't matter what we think our desire is. It only matters what God thinks our desire is. So God the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, wrote to these Christians, Spirit-filled Christians, who'd seen miracles, who had the power of God in their midst, but were being pulled away back under law. He was the Holy Spirit, through Paul, was telling him, how is it that you've turned back into the weak and beggarly elements, back to a place where you will only be weak, you'll only be found begging for the experience of that which is of God, and now your desire, you don't know this, but your desire is to be in bondage again. See, you don't know your own heart. Isn't it funny how we'll say, you know, I don't know everything. And the Bible says, I don't even know my heart, so I'll have to agree with God. I don't know my own heart. And I surely don't know everything. But when somebody comes along and tells me something new, I, I get mad about it. 
Or somebody corrects me, and I'm like, well, I don't like that. I don't like being corrected, so I get mad about that. One side of my mouth says I don't know everything, and that means uh, there's so, somebody could tell me something that I don't know, and somebody could also come and correct me because, uh, because I don't know everything. If you'll admit that you don't know everything, that means you're subject to be corrected. Can I get a witness? Amen. So, but when we're corrected, we act like we didn't say we don't know everything. We get mad. Well, bless God, I do. I do know everything, really. That's what our hearts are crying out. When I can't be corrected, my mouth is saying I don't know everything, but my heart is declaring to God, I do know everything. I don't need your correction. Amen. So, but God, this is powerful to me because God, through Paul, is telling these Galatians, you think your desire is to serve God, and it is to you, but to me, the one who can see into the heart, your desire is to be in bondage again. Because that's all you can be in under law. When a preacher tells you, or even you tell yourself, I have to do this to be saved, other than believing in the cross of Christ, I have to do this to be saved, you have gone back under the weak and beggarly elements. The, the law is weak. It, the law, what does the Bible say in, in, in Romans 8 and 3, that the, what the law could not do because it was weak through our flesh. The law could not do what Christ came to do. So when you go back under the law, you go back to a place where you're weak and beggarly. And in the mind of God, now you're like this crippled person. Under the law, remember, you're, you're crippled. You're shut up unto the faith. There, there can be no faith under the law. And, and so, uh, you know, I know there, every once in a while you'll hear a preacher say that, you know, if, if you go back under law, there's, you know, God can still, no, all God can, I don't care who they are. I don't care how wise they try to sound and put it, I've got a Bible. And when you go back under law, all God can do for you under law is point to grace. That's biblical. That's from this same letter we've been studying. If you go back under law, then God can only point to the one who came to save you, to get you out from under law, to get you under grace. But under law, the experience of the Lord is not under law. It's weak and beggarly. That's what Paul says. He goes on to say, you observe days and months and times and years. And that's what they were doing. That's what they were being told to do. These people have come. They've influenced you. And see, don't ever forget that. That's what happened here. People influence people. You better watch who you let influence you. If, you. if you aren't grounded in the truth, your dear loving mother or grandmother or best friend or daddy or granddaddy or brother or sister, whoever, which means best for you. Their best, their best interest is towards you, but they don't see what God sees. If they're trying to get you out of the simple faith in Christ Jesus... I mean, people have told me you, you, you'll never be a preacher. And, and closest to me in my life, or you know, they, you know, you'll never be a preacher. And they start pointing at, at things I've done as to why I could never be a preacher. Well, the devil only does that. The flesh only does that. But the Lord doesn't do that. If He's called you, yesterday is completely over. And think, just think about this. Throw this in this morning because we can. People who point to your past and and the and the mistakes you've made. I'm talking about 
you as a Christian, you, you've been forgiven. Even those who commit this sin, and Lord, I'm back, I'm, I'm back again with this same sin. Lord, I, I, Lord, this is like the tenth time I'm coming back to you for forgiveness. I, Lord, I, you, I just, you see this long string of stuff. Let me tell you something. When you bring this sin to the Lord for forgiveness through faith in the cross of Christ, let me tell you something. He don't see no long string of sin. When you bring that sin to Him today, it's like it's the first time you brought it because He had not remembered any time before. God, here I am again for the hundredth time. Not to Him, it's the first time. Because He's forgotten all that. And it's not that He doesn't know you need deliverance because He does. But He's chosen to forget all that. So don't drag up and say, Lord, I got... Look here, it's hundred times I've been here. Forget about the 99. It's all about right now again. That's what I love about our God. He's not going to string up a list of your past because it doesn't exist to Him. That's good news. And, and, and so we need to remember that. They, the, these, the, you got to watch who you let influence you. I don't care. Just, you know, we'll let people influence us because they've been in the ministry 60 years. To them, that's something. But ever since I've stepped into the message of the cross, this great revelation of God's Word, I don't care if you've been in the ministry 70 years. I'll respect you as I respect anybody else, but I'll also speak against you if you're not preaching the truth. Your years in ministry mean absolutely nothing if you're not preaching the truth, because you're in as much bondage as those you're preaching to, y'all in the same sinking boat. Your years of ministry does not elevate you. We are not elevated as ministers. We're in equal playing field. We're not elevated above anybody. Our giftings does not elevate us above folks. It's just a gifting that God is using us in a different way. And I'm saying all that today because you've got to be careful who you let influence you. There was a minister in our community. He's gone on to be with the Lord over the last two or three years. He passed away, but his name was known all throughout this entire region. He even visited our church a few years ago when we were on Main Street. Did not like the message of the cross. Did not like Brother Swaggart. Did not like it at all. Told people to stay away from our church. And all we do is preach the Word in the context of Calvary. And warn, as Paul did, as John the Baptist did, as your Lord Jesus did, and was telling folk to stay out away from our church. It doesn't matter if you've given your 70 years to ministry. If you're not preaching the Word of God in the light of Calvary, your years of ministry mean absolutely nothing. Amen, Brother Curtis. So and, and, and you know I didn't plan on saying all that this morning, but see influence of people. There's a power there. There's a power there. Influence and you know you you can know the truth. Well, go back and look at Peter. The influence of the just the little Judaizers coming from the church in Jerusalem, like they had full authority over the church. They didn't they didn't have no authority over the church. Jesus is the head of the church. I mean it's it's it's. But Peter jumped up and submitted to a spirit of fear at, a, at, at their influence. He let them influence him wrongly. And that's a good point. Amen. 
If you, if you let someone influence you that shouldn't be influencing you, the spirit of fear is going to pull you away from the truth, just like it did Peter. Amen. Amen. Paul goes on to say in verse 11, I'm afraid of you. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. And I'll give you some something here. Uh, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, what was happening here was these Judaizers were coming in, and what had already happened to some, and he, you know, and the letter to the Galatians was to bring back those that had moved away, if 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 the letter could even get to them, if they were. You know, if they were still around. But mainly this letter was for those who were still there contemplating. They, they just weren't sure which way to go because he's writing to them. And what had happened there was, uh, their liberty had been surrendered. And we'll see that in verses 8 through 11. Their love had been suppressed. We'll see that in verses 12 through 16. And their loyalty had been subverted. Their liberty was being surrendered for bondage again. We saw that. Your desires to be in bondage again. You can no longer walk in liberty and bondage at the same time. Law puts you in bondage. Grace gives you liberty. Amen. But also their love was being suppressed. And, and Paul will get to that. We'll see that eventually where he says, Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And third, their loyalty was being subverted. Now they were leaving their loyalty to the man of God who brought them the gospel, and they were giving their loyalty to the Judaizers. Let me tell you something this morning. You're loyal to a minister. I don't care who it is. might be somebody's books or commentary, but you know a lot of people say, well, I ain't, I ain't going to church. I, if, you're, if you're doing anything spiritual at all, you're submitted. You're, you're, you, somebody has your loyalty. You're reading their books, their commentaries. You're watching them on channel blah, blah, blah. Or you're in a church. You, you, you're loyal to listen to the word you're hearing from somebody. I ain't talking about loyal to come clean a minister's house and wash his car. That's gone a little bit too far unless God tells you to do that. But I ain't asking you to do it. But we're loyal we should be loyal as far as hearing the truth through those that God has given us a sphere of influence over us. And that's it. And what was happening here, they were, they were giving their, moving their loyalty. I'm not loyal, I ain't loyal to Paul no more. I'm becoming loyal to the Judaizers. They, they were being taken over. They were being overran by law. They were lying to speak to them instead of grace that had been spoken to them through Paul. Because you're going to be loyal to whoever you're allowing to speak into your life, spiritually. You're going to be loyal to them. So we'll see these things as we make it through these verses 8 through 20 over the next three years. And uh, But verse 11 says, I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. And and he's here say he's saying that he's fearful that he's bestowed upon labor upon these galls in vain, and it's really quite a statement knowing that those who've been born again, filled with the Spirit, and have seen miracles can surely turn away from God through denying him by their works. Titus one sixteen. Make sure you get that as a note. Titus one sixteen it says this they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. 
being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. And let me say this now. I'm not going to get in and teach on being abominable and disobedient and, and reprobate, but I will say this. One of these words is disobedient. You become disobedient to God not when you do something the Word says not to do or you don't do something the Word says to do. You become disobedient to God when you move your faith from the cross to something else that you think you have to do. You, you move into a place of disobedience. You have to be obedient in the eyes of God before you can walk in obedience to the Word of God. I hope you're getting that today. Romans 6 teaches that you become obedient when your faith is placed in that form of doctrine that freed you from sin and made you a servant of righteousness. That's when you become obedient. It says that in Romans 6. You obeyed that form of doctrine that saved you from sin, made you a servant of righteousness. Romans chapter 6 is profound. That's where you become obedient, not when you start tr struggling to try to do the Word. If your faith is in the cross, the Holy Spirit will function in a way that you're obedient to the Word of God. Not that we won't ever fail, we will, because we'll grieve the Holy Spirit at times. Somebody said amen, done it a couple of times, a couple of million. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. This is what's happening to the Judea, to the, uh, the, the the Galatians. You can profess Christ all day long with your lips, but if you think you're saved by something you do, a work, you're denying Him. Think about that. Again, I've said it. This will be the fourth, fifth time. If we were to put a microphone as the news media in front of the the, uh, the Galatians' mouths, they would have never said, "I'm going back into bondage." I love the Lord. But God sees into the situation. He's the one that knows the heart. The heart's deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? But God knows the heart. And He's the one that sees into the reality of where we really are. That's why we need the Word of God. That's why we weren't left to ourselves. Because if we were, if we didn't have the Word of God, every man could just say he's right in his own eyes and you ain't got no way to prove I'm not. But we have the Word of God as the light to our path. And it's the same path for all of us. It's not a different path. It's the path of righteousness. So you got to be when these Judaizers come. See, this is the devil. What he does in the church the best is try to get you, without you even knowing it, to place your faith in something other than the cross, so that when you do, you won't be getting closer to God. You'll be denying God. Oh, you'll think that still because of your tears and your praise and worship and, and all the, oh, your devoutness to your thinking that you're serving God. But he says you're, if, you, if you're trusting anything other than Calvary, you've gone back under a law. And now your desire's to be in bondage again. And through that work, you think it's getting you closer to God. You're denying God. In our works, we deny God. And you might be said, well, we're called to walk in good works, Ephesians 2.10. There are many, yes, but they're all in Christ, which means they only take place as our faith is in Christ. Meaning what He did for us at Calvary. When I think I can get closer to God or delivered by God or, or, or whatever it is by doing something, and that's what my faith goes into. And it's not that studying the Word don't help you. 
and bless you because it does. Fasting and praying and everything we're called to walk in does. But when that becomes the object of our faith, because I'm doing this now, God must, then that's when they actually become something. If our faith is not in the cross, if our faith is not, and I speak from experience, because for salvation, my faith was always in the cross, but I was saved. So after that, I had many objects of faith. And in those objects of faith that are not the cross, we work, and in our works, we deny God. That's what's happening here in Galatia. That's what's being buried out here in the Scriptures. So, the letter to the Galatians proved that just because someone goes back into the world, which is here revealed as going back under law, doesn't mean they were never saved as such denominations teach. Did you get that? The Galatians weren't really going back out to the bars and back out to the what, all the worldly things that made them appear to be lost. They, they weren't going back to the bondages they were in, but they were going back under new bondages that are nevertheless bondages. So the difference is, you know, you know, when these people start going back under law, they start put going after all these works, their faith is no longer in the cross. And listen, that doesn't mean they weren't ever saved. These were saved people. You know, you, and they've been talking about this on the message of the cross uh, yesterday, very uh, boldly and, and profoundly to me, and how, you know, that so many people teach today that you can't ever lose your salvation. And it's just so unbiblical. They don't have any scripture that they, that they can use that's, that's really proving that. They twist a lot of scripture to, you know. And let me say something this morning. If there's ever a scripture right here that refutes what you believe right here about this scripture, you gotta let that go. If you don't, you can't grow and you're not moving from that point right there. You'll be stuck there. I'm telling you. Well, I don't believe you, brother. You don't have to. There's a million preachers. You can pick any one of them you want. You can be loyal to anybody you want to. But you better watch. You better watch out. He said in verse 12, Brethren, I beseech you, I I beg you to do what? Be as I am. Boy, that's kind of bold. That's no, no wonder some of these preachers in our church age today want to rip some of the pages Paul wrote out. Because see, if they can't see the cross, if they can't see the gospel in these scriptures, if they can't see why Paul really would say that, of course they'd rip that out. We don't want to be like Paul. We want to be like Jesus. You know that sounds spiritual, don't it? I don't want to be like Paul. See, we can take that and we can black that out with your black highlighters. Black that out. Because we don't want to be like Paul. We want to be like Jesus. See how foolish we could be. If you're not looking at the Scriptures through the Gospel and the purpose they're written, you'll be taking black Sharpies and you'll be, you'll be blotting out some things that are said. And that's what the church is doing today. Because they're not looking through the Gospel into the Word of God. And if you're not doing that, you'll eventually put your Bible back on the mantle and it'll start collecting dust again and your life will collect more than dust. Corruption. Hmm. So, I beseech you, be as I am. What's that mean? No longer under law. For I am as you are. What's that mean? I'm a Jew and I'm as you are. Yeah, I'm just like you. 
I'm not under law. It don't matter if you're a Gentile and I'm a Jew. Guess what? You can be like me and I can be like you. What's that? Free from the law. That's right. You have not injured me at all. Now, this is, this is where Paul begins to turn and, and, and to bring them into that second thing we talked about. First thing was verses 8 through 11, their liberty had been surrendered. They were going back into bondage. Now he's going to start talking about this love had been suppressed. Love. You know, how many people have listened to Brother Swaggart, Brother Larson, uh, whoever it may be, me, you, and, and you, you, God has used you, them greatly to, and still is, to affect the world through the gospel to bring a, a harvest in and to bring a church back to faith and grace to the path of righteousness through the message of the cross. And we've started that, and I've seen it, I've seen it. People just, uh, just be in, just, just in love with them, loyal to them. I've seen people lock their houses up and just moved to Baton Rouge for a whole semester of Bible college just to set through some classes and to be more grounded in which they are so thankful and so amazed that God has given them through those ministers and they're just, man, their love is for them, their loyalty is to them and, and, and that which, you know, a proper loyalty. You know, I ain't talking about all that negative, uh, false servanthood. And their love is for them and, and that this new liberty they have. And I've seen it many times in the 13 years we've been preaching this message. And then all of a sudden one day, they're nowhere to be found. They don't want to hear the name Swaggart. They don't want to hear the name Curtis. They, they don't want to see your face because the enemy has come in. And let me say it, the enemy will come into your life at a greater force once you begin to walk in the knowledge of the truth. If you go back to the Old Testament, the day they crowned David king over all of Israel, it says the Philistines rose up. He stepped into the place God had called him to be king of all Israel. And the day that happened, all the Philistines rose up. We in trouble, the enemies can't see it. And every time there's a new church planted preaching the message of the cross, you better expect the gates of hell to rise up. And don't that count it a strange thing when you start experiencing trials and temptations because you've stepped into that place God's called you. But these people in, in Galatia, they're just like these people. They start, man, I just love the messengers. Oh, they just speak the truth. God is using them. And then to wake up one day, and they don't want to even hear their name. I, we had a person in our church several years ago, and, and man, they just loved the, the, the messengers from SBN and the truth. I mean, it was just, oh, it was the greatest thing. And it is the greatest thing. The truth. And then it got to a point, if I would even say the name Brother Swaggart in a message, they'd squirm in their seat. Like, And their attitude was, well, he don't know everything. I'm like, well, who said anything about somebody knowing everything? You know, you got you got to be very careful because the enemy will come in. But there are the, I mean, this person was a Gnostic and, and still is. And what I mean by Gnostic is Gnosticism. And they just, they have to go from one new hot item to the next new hot item. But I'm thankful when I found the true one, true hot item. I'm sticking with it. I'll never be wrong hanging to the cross. 
I'll never be wrong looking into the Word of God through the cross and finding the path He's got for me. There won't be another new thing after you come back to Calvary. It is the new thing. There won't be another one. All the messages that are being enlarged and increased outside of faith in the cross alone. Not faith in your confession that you're righteous. See, that moves your faith from the cross. You'll, listen, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but the object of faith for me is not my confession of that. It is what He did to make me that. And see how the subtleness of that will place you back under the law of confession. And they'll use Scriptures on you like, you know, it's with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth man confesses. Listen, only if the heart is believing unto righteousness can the, the mouth just follows, hallelujah, the mouth don't lead. The word of faith, all that false mess out there, false word of faith doctrine, what's leading for them is the mouth. But God sees it as the heart leading. It's with the heart man believes, then the mouth speaks. And hear me this morning, the mouth always reveals what the object of faith is. The mouth always reveals what the object of faith is. So, Paul says, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, no longer under the law, because I am as you are, free from the law. You've not injured me at all. And again, he begins to turn here. He, he, letting him know, You've not offended me. What's Paul doing here as a minister? He's letting them know, I'm not taking this personal. This is not about me. My feelings aren't hurt. What's on trial here is your faith. What's on trial here is your love. What's on trial here is your liberty. I'm not taking this personal. You, you Listen, those that have already gone out, I hate it for them. I'm grieved over them. But I don't hate them. They're not my enemy. The enemy is those preaching the wrong message. The enemy is those who are enemies of the cross. Amen. And we're, But we're not even fighting against them. There are enemies of the cross, but the enemy, the adversary, is not flesh and blood. It's the spirit behind all that. The devil can't stand for you to walk in liberty. He won't stand. You, I mean, who in their Christian life has ever been urged by the Lord to uh, fast and pray? And the moment you agreed with Lord, the Lord to do that, or agreed with the Lord for Bible study, or finally agreed with the Lord, I do need to be in the in the, in a local church and my family, and we need to be there. The moment you make that decision, your flesh is going to start coming against you. Well, I'm going to fast. God's been leading me to fast. Well, the moment you make that. Submit to that, rather. All you're going to hear is, I'm hungry. I'm starving. I can't skip a meal. Skip. That's what you're going to hear. And you can't blame the devil. That's your flesh. The moment you decide you're going to get in the Word... Now, this is amazing. It happens to everybody. and It happens to preachers. The moment you decide... You're going to get in the Word, and you're going to get in the Word at this time. You're going to give this time to the Lord, and you're going to expect Him to speak to you, ask Him to speak to you, and you're going to learn something. The moment you submit yourself to the Word at that time, every day, whenever you can on those days, it's amazing what's going to pop up. Because I'm telling you, 
things in your mind. Well, I need to fix that dripping faucet. Well, well I'm supposed to be in the Word. Well, I can get in the Word. I'm going to fix that real quick. Well, I need to... It's amazing how these lists just appear before you because when you submit to the Lord, the enemy... He's coming, and your flesh don't like it either. The flesh and the Spirit are contrary one to another all the days of your life. Your flesh does not want to serve God, and will not, unless your faith stays in Calvary. So he says, you've not injured me at all. It's not a personal thing with me. It is personal, but it's not personal as far as me being angry at you. I'm not offended at you. I'm disappointed and we are disappointed when we see people step into this truth and then they're, uh, they're under such attack that, that, that they fall away. Now, they say they don't, but it's obvious, obviously, listen, that they do. He says, you know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. Paul preached through his infirmity of his flesh. And the Galatians were now being reminded by Paul how much he loved them and how much, how much he loved them and how much they loved him. They had this relationship at the beginning. Now, don't forget, this is the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul to remind them of the relationship they had because they had received and appreciated the gospel. And the Holy Spirit's not going to remind you of something that you don't need to think about and consider and hang on to. Think about what I just said. The Holy Spirit's not going to remind you of something as far as what you need that you don't need to consider and hang on to. You know, your love. This preacher used to say, and I don't know if I'll get it right, but uh, years ago this one preacher used to say, as long as you know I love you, And as long as I know you love me, we'll always be together. Amen. That's like a marriage, isn't it? As long as I know Robin loves me and she knows I love her, we're going to stick it out because love is going to bring us through. And, you know, and, 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 and you could just put that even in a worldly marriage if we love each other. But in a Christian marriage where it's the love of Christ that's constraining us, it's the, it's the love of Christ that's between me and her, then we're for sure guaranteed to make it. But he's reminding them here that their love is being suppressed. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first, and my temptation was in my flesh. You despised it not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Paul, we're not sure what it is because of what the Scriptures go on to say. uh, uh, Let me see here. Uh, Verse 15, Where is then the blessedness you spoke of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Now that, that that could be... You won't find proof of it in the Scriptures, but that could be talking about Paul's infirmity being his eyes, but it also could be a figure of speech. Paul's saying, listen, you would have even gave me plucked your eyes out if it were possible and given your eyes to me. But we don't know what that is, but the point is this. We had such a relationship. We had such a love for each other. You cared for me so greatly. I cared for you. We had this love. See, love is what drives our true faith. 
Faith only works by love. And the Holy Spirit is reminding them through Paul that it was love they stepped into, a true loving relationship because their faith had been real. Now their faith was under fire. Their faith was uh, uh, under the gun being attempted by the enemy, by their flesh, by the Judaizers to, to move the object of their faith to something else. And listen, if your faith is not in the cross, it's a faith that will not work by love. It will take you away from the fellowship of those who speak the same thing, whose words are seasoned uh, by salt, words of grace seasoned by salt. It will move you to a place these Galatians were being moved, where they had lost their liberty. They were, listen, it was, a, it was like a war zone in, in, in this place. Think about that. That's the way I really picture Christianity in our world. It, you know, maybe it's because I was a Marine and we practiced all these war drills, but, and maybe, I don't know, but the Bible depicts us as good soldiers, armed with the full armor of God. And, the way I see things is there, there's people, there are soldiers who are walking in this truth, and we're not talking about perfection, but there are soldiers who are walking with their faith in the cross. They're walking, and they're walking through this battlefield, and, and every once in a while somebody gets, gets hit, and these Galatians were getting hit, and before they just completely were removed, God wrote a letter to them that you can be picked up. You can come along, but you have to come back to faith in the cross. You can't keep going with faith in your works, in what you do, even though it may sound so spiritually wise. But it is it removes us from the simplicity of Christ. And, and, and we're, in, we're in this big battlefield. The battle is not ours. It's the Lord's. And it's already been won. And He's given us the faith that experiences the victory that's already been won. And when we get knocked down, we get attacked, then we reach over and we give the truth to those. And listen, that's how you pick people up is by offering them the truth, reminding them of who Christ is, what He did, who they are in Him, what they have in Him. That's this letter. This letter was sent to a church under attack, bombs coming in of legalism and procedures and holidays and all these things that I've got to start doing again just to please God. No, God is only pleased by faith, and that's the faith of the Son of God that loved us and gave Himself for us. If we keep our faith in the cross, that is what makes it the simplicity of Christ. It's the simplicity for us. It wasn't simple for Him, but it's simple to keep our faith in the cross. It is a fight, but it must be done. And when soldiers of Christ are falling and being bombed by all this legalism, God sends a big basket of refreshment into the camp called the letter to the Galatians, the Word of Almighty God. And I have to always just wonder what it would have been like in the church of Galatia there when the preacher got up Sunday morning and began to read this letter. Would I have been one of those that said, you know what, I I just don't see that anymore. I'm going with the Judaizers. I'm going with the law. I'm I'm not going with Paul anymore. I've lost my interest for Paul. Now my interest is in these men. That's what happens when you start hearing the messengers of the cross and then you wake up one day and you're now listening to messengers that aren't preaching the cross. Something was lost there. And it's called this simply eyesight. 
The enemy in our flesh will make us think that we have more spiritual eyesight now than ever before when we've actually gone blind. That's called deception. Pretty powerful, isn't it? You know how through verse 13, the infirmity of, I, through infirmity of the flesh, I preach the gospel unto you at the first. Paul comes into this camp. His mission is to preach the gospel. And even though he has got such an infirmity, you know what? That didn't set him aside. What did he do? He still preached the gospel. I don't care. He, he didn't let this remove him. He didn't let that infirmity remove him. He realized God's grace is sufficient. These people need the message of life. They need the gospel. They've got, no matter what I've got going on with me, this is a matter of life and death. I can't, listen, I can't set this aside because I, I can't see good possibly or I, or I, I got a, my leg hurts or I, I got a headache. No, this message is, that's the way I try to live as a minister. I gotta preach, I gotta teach. This is vital. What you hear today may, may pick you up from that wounded place. This, what you hear today, faith may come and victory fresh again may come. A reminder that you need today. And that's, it's so important. It's a message we need. I don't get in the pulpit and think, well, you know, I just don't know. We'll do the best we can today. No, I believe, God, I've asked you for a word today. You've given me this opportunity. This is gonna bless somebody today. It ain't about me. I'm just a little old uh, creek bed laying here for you to run through, you to touch somebody. And that's what the letter to the Galatians were, was it was through Paul, just a, just a creek bed, just a messenger for the, the waters of life to flow in and, and God to try to attempt to touch somebody with the truth again that would jar them, shake them back to a place where their liberty was, back to a place of loyalty to the messenger of God, not the messenger of what was called a messenger of God, but the messenger of God. Think about this. And this comes from my Romans teaching here recently. Paul said that uh, the Jewish people have a benefit because God has given them, committed unto them the oracles of God. The Word of God came through them. It's a benefit they have of being a Jew because God gave them the Word of God. Don't mean that they're a Jew just because they got the Word of God. Because Paul said, listen, you're not a Jew because you got circumcised outwardly. You're a Jew because you got circumcised of the heart inwardly. But think about this. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says to know that God was in Christ reconciling sinners unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Think about that. You have had... The word of reconciliation, which is the word of God in the context of what reconciles Jesus Christ and him crucified, committed unto you. Committed unto you. Are you doing anything with it? Because remember, outward circumcision don't make you a Christian. An outward act of water baptism don't make you a Christian. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. Not with a work does man do unto righteousness. And when the heart's believing unto righteousness, which means faith in the righteous one and what he did to offer that righteousness to you at Calvary, then the mouth will begin to declare that message. I had a thought yesterday, shouldn't share it probably, but I guess I will. Just imagine two people, and they're over there, and they're just, oh, 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 oh. And typically, 
In a church, we would call that the Lord is all over them. He's ministering to them. That's a move of God. But you don't know that. You don't know that. You can't prove it. You can't prove it. The proof is in the confession of Christ and the fruit of your character. That's the, that's, that's the fruit. Because, and I'll tell this, we had in this church we used to be in, there was a guy there for weeks and weeks and weeks, had his hands up, tears rolling down his face, and everybody thought, well, it's a born-again Christian, why wouldn't you? Let me tell you something, folks, you don't know. You don't know. You might know if it's happening to you, but then again, because the Galatians didn't even know their own desires, we really don't know. The proof is in our faith being in Christ, the confession of Christ who is our righteousness, submitting to Him through faith in the cross, allowing Him to bear His fruit through us. Our lives are being changed. And this guy, after weeks and weeks, approached me one day and said, Hey, Brother Curtis, you know, uh, our, our, our Koran is just like your Bible, and I about melted in my shoes right there. Because his hands are up every service, his tears are there, he's, he's singing, he's, 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 he's worshiping. Our natural tendency, man, there's a move of God taking place there. You don't know. You don't know. A Mormon could be having what looks like a move of God. A guy told me that. He said, I've been a Mormon all my life. My dad died a Mormon. I'll die a Mormon. Quit telling me about that stuff you're talking to me about. They came to my house and we cried together. Lord, I cry every day. Crying doesn't mean there's a move of God taking place. I know people that come to church about three times a year. Every time they, they're living in sin, every time they come to church, they come to the altar and they cry and they cry hard. I mean, it's, it's, it is from the heart, it's crying. And I don't know what's going on in their heart. I don't have a clue and I'm not their judge. All I'm saying is, if that's all they got going on, there ain't no repentance in tears because Esau couldn't find it in tears. Amen. So you really don't know what a move of God is. Point is, this morning that guy turned out to be a, a, a Muslim in the, in that church. He, I, we sat for two and a half hours, and his last comment to me, leaving the office, good spirited guy, happy guy. He said, "Brother Curtis, I, I I just can't call Jesus Lord. I can't make, say he's God." And I said, "Well, I I just wanted to show you that your Koran is not like our Bible." So what appears to be a move of God for the Galatians, going back on, oh, we've got something great. And James even said this about the Jewish people. More people are believing in Christ and are now more zealous for the law than ever before. Well, you got that being said to Paul by James. But then you got Paul out here writing, the law ain't nothing but weak and beggarly. It's not talking about it has no purpose. It's talking about it has no purpose to save, to deliver, to sanctify. And we're not under it. Amen. So I brought all that other stuff up to say, you can think you're in the middle of a move of God by some outward experience that's going on. Listen. Because they're having something similar to what you're having, and they call it a move of God. A move of God is conviction by the Holy Spirit when truth comes. Repentance can't even happen unless truth is being acknowledged. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. Unless truth is being acknowledged, and truth is Jesus and what he did at Calvary, the only grounds for true repentance is what he did there. If I'm just sorry for my sins without faith in the cross, well, guess what? I'm still sorry for my sins. So you've got to be careful with what you're calling a move of God. When people are gathering to hear the message of the cross, now that's according to the Word of God. A church is raised up and established on the preaching of the cross. That's there. What is there? An opportunity for God to move you out of law into truth, save your soul, place you in the path of righteousness, and move you and begin to develop you as a Christian. But really what's happening, He begins to bring forth His fruit of who He is in you and through you. See, it's the character of Christ that's coming out as the fruits of righteousness, for He's our righteousness. So, And I said all that today because the Galatians thought they were in a move of God, but they were moving away from God, thinking that they could go back and do all these things that the Jews did all these years, and that must be right. Why? Because it was in the Word. And, and, and I have to say this in closing with the last minute today that... Well, it looks like I've still got an hour to go. So, uh, uh, Jesus did not come and just say throw the old, throw the law out. He said, "I listen. I didn't come to abolish the law. I did. I didn't come to destroy. I came to fulfill it." It's all fulfilled in Christ. We're not to throw anything out. We're to look at it as we look through Christ into it to see what what was written was all about. God didn't change His plan. A lot of people think that the plan changed. The plan never changed. But the depth of the revelation changed for those who would come by faith into Christ. God, it, The plan didn't change. God said He made known the end from the beginning. And the beginning was about the Lamb being slain. Amen. See, this is just focused and that's what the Holy Spirit through Paul was trying to do. You've lost your focus. Remember what he told him in one place. Man, you, you got it. Let's look back at it. I know we're running out of time. But Galatians chapter 3 says, in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has come along and bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has evidently been has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Such a revelation they had at this man who was preaching with infirmity, who didn't make it about the man, who made it about the gospel coming through the man. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us eyes to overlook the, the messenger and whatever his infirmity is, and because the Holy Spirit wants us to hear the truth, obey the truth, so that, the picture can be there of Christ in our own hearts and minds being crucified for us because He loved us and wanted to give us His righteousness. And, and the list of good things goes on and on and on. That's what happens when the truth comes. Righteousness is portrayed. His righteousness. 
And let me tell you something, when we start getting off track, just like I did, and I suffered through years of false ministry, people out there occasionally telling me, what you're preaching is not right. And I just told myself and told them, you just don't understand what God is showing me. And I'm sure the Judaizers told that to the Gauls, these Galatians, that, listen, you guys just got saved. You don't really, you, you just, you listen, they really, what they were telling them is if you're following Christ, He is somebody who has avoided the law. Paul has crushed the law like it's not any good. That, that's, listen, that's why they really crucified Jesus, because they thought He was coming against the law. That's why they threw Paul. Got rid of Paul. Want to kill him because Paul's out there preaching against the law. And what they didn't have through a rejection of Christ was the revelation that Paul wasn't throwing away the law. He was given by the Holy Spirit a greater revelation into the law by preaching the one who came to fulfill the law. And let me say it again. Jesus didn't come to get rid of it. He came to fulfill it. And God didn't change His plan. He just brought more depth and revealed the light of his plan that had been types and shadows in the past. So many people think that God just, things did change, but the plan of God overall didn't change. It just gave, he gave greater depth, greater revelation. And the proof of that is this, Jesus said, You've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, so he's not changing anything. He's just giving a deeper revelation. I say to you, because it's always a heart issue with God. I say to you, if you think about adultery, you've committed it. If you hate your brother, before you go kill him, you've already killed him. See the depth there. There's been a change in the offer of revelation that's there. In the past, it was only the revelation that would come one day be fulfilled, but it was only types and shadows under the law. But when you come under grace, then you see the law still has its place, but not for salvation, not for sanctification. It can't do that. It's weak through our flesh. And there's just, that's what the Lord has done. I said it Wednesday night. He just keeps giving a clear and a bigger picture of Jesus. Because that's who the Scriptures are about. If we miss preaching about Jesus in the Word and what He did at Calvary, we missed a good opportunity to share the truth of God's Word. And the people have just wasted another time. Uh, uh, when time could have been redeemed, they just wasted it again. Amen. Well, we're out of time. And I believe we'll be here next Friday. But the Friday after that on the 14th, we won't be here because of determined count meeting going on. I encourage you to be here for that. Tune in. All the services will be live. And until next time, stay determined to know nothing other than Christ and Him crucified. God bless you.